to the first episode of the Tashi Station Book Club. I'm Nancy, one of your hosts, and joining me today for this episode is Megan, one of the co-hosts for the Western Reaches podcast. Thanks for joining us, Megan. Thanks, citizen. <laughs> ah, topical, topical for the book club. <laughs> so uh, let's give a little background information for the book club. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you know uh, what it's all about. If you've been listening to Tashi Station or have been participating in the Goodreads Forum, uh, one of my New Year's res- resolutions this year was to read more books. And I've had a very long list of to be of want to read on my Goodreads uh, page for a long time. And I decided, hey, it would kind of be interesting to have other people read books along with me. So um, I decided to start a book club and especially want to read books that are science fiction and fantasy and also written by women and people of color and other marginalized voices that you don't necessarily, you know, see a lot in SFF literature. So the first book we picked was Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie, which won the Hugo Award, I believe, right? I think it won in 2004 or 2014. Went to look at my copy, and it's an older copy, so it's a <laughs> sticker on it. But I think you're correct. All right, I'm going to look up. I should have. Uh, yep. It won the Hugo Award, Nebula Award, BSFA Award, Ar- Arthur C. Clarke Award, and Locus Award. Uh, and it is was Anne Leckie's debut novel. Um, it is followed by Ancillary Sword and Ancillary Mercy, which just came out last uh, October. So, Ancillary Justice is the first novel, and um, just let's start off the bat with our overall impressions of the book. Megan, why don't you go first? Because I know you've read this before. You've read it a few times, actually. Yeah, so this is, I think this might be my official favorite book of all time. Ooh, um, good. It, there's a lot of things in it that I really glommed onto immediately. It's the story of an artificial intelligence who used to be a spaceship. And I love the way it deals with AI. Um, I think it has interesting things to say about imperialism. And it's also just a really fun sci-fi story with sort of magical weapons and weird ancient alien structures and all the sort of things you expect from from modern sci-fi. Yeah. Um, I, I had an interesting reaction to Ancillary Justice because... I definitely wanted to read it because of all the acclaim it's been it's been given, and I, I while I love reading sci-fi, I, I haven't read a lot of modern sci-fi. Most of the sci-fi I've read has been older books or Star Wars books, so I wanted to read more of the classics like the Vorkosigan books, which I've started, but also more of try to keep up with you know. You know, books that would be on like the top 10 lists from like, you know, Light Locus or like in those types of things. So Ancillary Justice was, was definitely one I wanted to read no matter what it was about. <laughs> and um, I at first I had a hard time getting into it. Um, I tend to like more adventure type stories, uh, which is probably why I love Star Wars books so much. But um, as I got more into it and more involved in the culture and learned more about the characters, I became more and more interested in it. 
And um, actually around, I think it was towards the middle of the book when you find out the twist about um, the two factions of racked i don't know how to say the i don't know how to say a lot of words in this book so i'm just mm. gonna guess there there are weird words yeah i would i would say ratch but ratch. those, those yeah. uh that's very difficult yeah the ratch the two factions that are actually the two different parts of the leader and anderman and i i was kind of like all right i i'm invested now and i want to see how this comes about um i thought the the world building in particular was really well done. And um, at the same time, it didn't feel like there were some parts that were very info dumpy, but it didn't feel like, Oh, okay. She's just giving me information. You know, it was very, uh, it was, it was, it was included in the story where it needed to be. And you could tell she'd done a lot of work on thinking of how this society is was formed basically yeah one of the things i liked so much about the voice in this book and like don't get me wrong it is not a mile a minute book there are several major plot points that take place over dinner and yeah. at least <laughs> three that take place over tea yes. um it is i felt that the main character and the world were very well suited to each other so she has a bit of distance to her because she's an an artificial intelligence so there are moments where she is i would say they're sort of info dumpy because she's looking at them from this slightly detached perspective but to me that's a device that works really well in sci-fi universes where the ai are done in a particularly unique way which i think they were here Mm -hmm. yeah so one of the things that um you know is people talk a lot about when they talk about ancillary justice is the way it's written uh so it's written from Breck's point of view, who is the former justice of Torin. Um, and the ships are the ships are really interesting because there's justices and then there's Sorens and Mercies. So you can get where the naming of the trilogy came about. Um, and it's all her points her point of view, but it switches back and forth uh, in the timeline between the present day um, and the and flashbacks from 20 years ago when um, all leading up to her, the ship being destroyed, basically. Um, and when I started reading it, that was one of the things that took me a long time to get into is because I didn't really understand what the flashbacks were all about because there isn't sort of any indication of this is 20 years ago or whatever, or, you know, this is leading up to her telling the story of how the ship was destroyed. Um, But then after a little while, I figured out, oh, okay, that's what's going on here. And, you know, I I got more into that story. Um, And, of course, the thing that most people talk about is the pronouns in the book. So the, the rat don't have any kind of gender um and so their language has no sort of like she he differentiation i think the the important distinction there is that their language does not have any gender uh, gender indicators they and that maybe that's part of why this is confusing for some people and it definitely takes some getting used to Uh, they they have biological gender they just don't have linguistic gender if that makes sense 
Yeah. And that was really interesting to me because I, I don't know why, but I always had the impression that they were alien. And I think maybe it's just because of what I've heard about the book, you know, and read about the book. Um, you, you know, here, no gender, you kind of think, well, then not human, really. But no, they are human. And most of the people in the book are human, except for some references of other aliens. But they, their language, the Ratch language in particular, doesn't distinguish gender. And so Breck just defaults to she. Um, and then when she has to use other languages that do have gender, she has to guess. And it's very hard for her to guess because, you know, what might indicate a male or a female in one culture and language isn't the same as in another language. Yeah. And um, it leads to some delightfully sort of strange sentences such <laughs> as like she stroked her beard. Yes. <laughs> um, and it definitely took a while for me to get used to. I read this when it came out. Um, so three years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And to me, the the language was, I think it was very intentionally written as a, a feminist concept, and it struck me very much as sort of trying to remove the idea that female characters, or I, I use the word person a lot now, like that mm-hmm. person, and trust me, every time I do it, I'm thinking about ancillary justice. <laughs> um, <laughs> Citizen. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it was one of the first times that I... I noticed how how much gender indicators or even something like a profession mm-hmm. can be coded, gender coded, and yes. seeing that switched was so interesting. And to me, it was very illuminating. Um, certainly confusing. And sometimes you never find out the biological gender of the character. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. I... I agree. I had the same sort of reaction um, when I've when I read the summary of the book um, because because uh, when I was researching uh, query letters for writing, um, Anne Leckie had posted her query letter for ancillary justice on her website, and that was one of the things I used as sort of to like teach me how to write. A query letter and or an example of a you know a good one obviously and um so I I knew sort just based on that like what the setup for the book was and even though I knew that there was no sort of gender indicators and I shouldn't be assuming anything about the characters I always assumed that Anander Minai was a male because my brain automatically goes villain male and I mean, and I was just like, huh, interesting that my brain does that. <laughs> yeah, it demanded you to ign- to examine your own assumptions. Yes. Because I don't remember what I thought about Anander me and I at first. She may have come in late enough that I, at that point I was kind of used to it. But yeah. I would find myself saying, okay, this person is, I don't know, carrying a heavy load. Do I assume that's a male? And then sort of having to examine that. Yeah, and I, and it's very interesting because in books, in entertainment in general, the default for a character is usually still a white male and, you know, definitely male. So 
you know, that's that's sort of the thing we've talked about a lot in Star Wars is like getting all of the background characters to be equal. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, okay, well, you know, you have mostly men and then a few women, you know, trickled in around here. You know, you want you don't want the default to be male. You want the default to be both, you know, and that and that's that's definitely this book, you know, bucks against that because you everyone is referred to as she so you you automatically assume it's a woman until you get indicators that it's not it's always interesting hearing how people picture the characters because yeah. <laughs> I, I think unless there is some kind of gender indicator very quickly and there are points in the in this book and the later book where breck is sort of forced to use languages that handle gender in different ways yeah um i found myself imagining them as and generally androgynous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, for some reason, I, I picture Sivardin as male. And I don't, I think there was a point where they talked about her being shirtless or something. And I think that's why I assume, I thought, okay, Sivardin's male. Or maybe it's just the attitude of the character, because, like, she's kind of really jerky. She's, <laughs> uh, she's, she's entitled yeah. because she believes she's of a higher <laughs> but uh, it's funny station. because early on I when I was thinking of her as female it was really easy for me to picture her as like a snobby like princess type but <laughs> That's then later, interesting but then later on when I thought oh mate maybe she's male I was like then I'm like oh I can see her as kind of a snobby you know male prince type. <laughs> so see it, it forces you to to examine this stuff yeah. I don't some I think Sivardin's gender is revealed relatively quickly, but I don't remember well enough to say for yeah. sure. Yeah, and um so the characters in general, I you know, Breck is the character we see everything from. And it's really interesting because in the flashbacks you get a, a clear sense of that, you know, she's the ship, but she's also these individual units, and then she's also individual people. Um, and, but then later on, you have a, she has a very clear personality after, you know, 20 years of just being this one body. Yeah, well, the flashbacks are, I think, extra confusing, because now you've, I don't even know how I would, I would say this, but it's, it's a first person point of view, but she's got like 16 bodies. Yeah. And I loved that. And I thought it was so weird yeah. and just so refreshingly. Because she writes it with such confidence. She does. It's like one esque in the hallway told Lieutenant on this, you know, the other one esque outside saw this happening, you know? <laughs> yeah. And she just no breaks between those sentences at all, just no. like casually going on. Like, yeah, number seven was doing this, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's other characters that she kind of, you know, ha goes, that come in and out of the story. Savardin is there throughout the entire story. And Savardin was interesting because, you know, most of the time in novels, you, you have very clear motivations for the characters and what they're doing. And yet, there really is no reason for Breck to rescue Savardin, and she knows that and says it throughout the entire book. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I did this. <laughs> and it could be very frustrating, but eventually it's kind of like, I kind of like, I don't want them to be broken up because now they've 
gone through all this together. <laughs> it's a. Uh, she makes a point of saying. So, is it? I don't know if this is a spoiler. They they um knew each other at some point. Right. There yeah. there is this connection between them. But Breck makes a point of saying like. I knew you, but you were never my you were favorite. Never my favorite. Yeah. I didn't like you that much. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, in the uh, first book, yeah. So Yeah. And I thought that was kind of funny. Um throughout this book I wasn't sure whether I liked Savardin or not. Mm-hmm. Um you're never entirely sure. The one part about this that did confuse me is that's the time span. So the reason that Savardin and Breck sort of end up in the same place is because Savardin was frozen in like carbonate essentially yeah um for thousands of years whereas breck has just been alive for thousands of years because she's a spaceship Mm -hmm. so it it the one thing that was not always clear was that sivardin had been uh, frozen this whole time yeah that was kind of odd as to like okay well how did how did that work out (laughs) but yeah and there's there's a lot of references to the house that she was part of is not a house that's in power anymore and that's part of why she feels so entitled that was a very interesting idea as to how like kind of a fish out of water and which kind of makes it an interesting comparison to breck you know be feeling the same way um Hmm. Yeah. And then um, there's the two lieutenants um, that... Uh, so the, the flashbacks take place on a planet called Shiserna, which is being annexed by the rat. The ra- the ratch. And um, Lieutenant On is kind of like the main person who Breck, you know, one-esque, is working working with down there. Um, and I I really liked her. And I, I was very upset about her fate. <laughs> I, um, I love her. The, so. scene, the, the scene in the temple um, and then the, the later scenes when um, Anander Manai comes on the ship and orders Breck to uh, shoot her, like, were so well done. And I, like, they were so full of tension. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. Vicious. And Lecky made um, pins with On's name on them so that the Ratch will wear pins to show, like, their loyalty, who they're loyal to. And she, I, I got an On pin. Oh, nice. Ah. <laughs> and talk, going back to the, you know, the conversations about gender and the assumptions, you know, I, I, I was, you know, seeing On and Skiat kind of, like, together and, you know, assuming together, together. <laughs> Yeah, um, they like I'm I'm imagining them as both women and like try and then I'm trying to figure out, OK, well, are they both women or is one of them male? And like I couldn't picture them as like a male female couple. I could only picture them as like a, a lesbian couple. <laughs> I don't huh. know why <laughs> my brain wouldn't go the other way. I'm like, no, they're lesbians. I don't care what they actually are. <laughs> Clearly. Which is kind of like what this book does. Yeah, I think that was one of the points. I mean, there were so many points where I could like consciously feel my brain rearranging in this book. But one of them was that relationship, I think. And that was the point where I was just like, I'm going to stop guessing. Like I Mm -hmm. could, I could assume they were gay. I could assume they were both male. I could assume they were a heterosexual couple, whatever. But like for the purpose of this story, it doesn't matter. And that's what the, that's what. Breck's voice is telling us. So mm-hmm. that's sort of how they, they 
stayed androgynous in my yeah. head. Um, so, and I wanted to talk about an Andrew May Nine, which who we don't really get as much in this book, but um, yeah, well, is I, is the, you know the the main thing holding you know Breck's vengeance. Um, go, in, what were you going to say beforehand? Well, I, I want to make sure, and we're going to talk about this a little more when we talk about uh, Urs and Shiserna too. But it, it's very clear that while Breck technically like works for the Ratch, the Ratch is your classic evil empire. Like yes. the they talk about annexations, which is basically they just go into a planet and slaughter most it's of very, its citizens. Yeah. It's a very fancy um, way of <laughs> saying yeah, that. Yeah, and they say that and characters will say that too. They'll like pause, you know, you know, say back in the pause annexation and you've just got like like war written in three foot high letters <laughs> and it's not it's not in there but um it's i thought this was particularly interesting because breck herself does not always react to these terrible things like she, and she herself does terrible things oh, yeah. when she's working for the rats and she's not necessarily fighting them because they're an evil empire she's fighting them because anandermi and i did things particularly to her which she did not think were were good things yeah. so this this book was a lot about operating within sort of a, a terrible system. And to me, and maybe this helped me with it too, because I, I felt there was a lot of shorthand. Like you could immediately say, okay, the Ratch is the Empire from Star Wars. And now we're going to play with how this particular author is writing a, a story about an evil empire, any empire. Yes. And I liked that about it. Even yeah. though the Ratch also had very specific very, you know, detailed world building and cultural things. Yeah. And um, so so the, the the basic gist of the book is that Breck is on this planet called Nilt, which is kind of like a, a, a Hoth type planet. Um, and she's looking for a she's out for revenge. She wants to kill Anander me and I for what, you know, she's done to her, uh, you know, basically destroying her ship and leaving her with one body. Um, and you learn, you find out like the, the Ratch have, has, have this armor and there's no way of getting through it except for these guns that were used like many years ago. And she's figured out where one of these guns is and she wants to go get it so she can kill Anander, me and I. Which so, sounds is, is simple. It's such a like pulp sci-fi idea. It it's is this literary book <laughs> about finding a magical gun. Yes, and then of course the idea, the the conceit is that um, Anander me and I has thousands of bodies. So even if she succeeds in killing one or two of them, she's probably screwed. Um, so I'm sitting here going. This doesn't seem like the best plan, Breck. <laughs> but then later on, you figure out maybe that's not entirely her plan. So, because that was the one thing I was wondering. If the, if, first of all, how the hell did Anna me and I get thousands of bodies? Um, which I don't know if they'll explain in later books or if it's just something we're supposed to accept and move on or think about. And then, you know... It's, you know, I'm thinking, what, you, what is killing one of them going to do? <laughs> you know? That's, yeah. I I thought that um, there's actually a scene in the book about 
when uh, an ancillary body is first like decanted, I yes. guess, and implanted with the consciousness of the AI, and it's a horrific scene, yes. but it does a, a really good job of showing how the rats sort of take over other things' bodies. Um, and I, because of that, and because I learn, you know, as you, as you go through, you learn that the ratch has millions of these. It has more bodies in storage than it needs for its massive war. I figured that Anandermi and I would have a, sort of a limitless amount of them. She can use any of them that she wants. Yeah. So the, the amount that she has didn't really bother me because I figured they have whole armies where they can allot a certain number to their, their dictator. That's true. Um, it is very interesting because, like, thinking, well, Breck has all these bodies that are, you know, but they're all part of the AI. So having all the bodies as part of one particular person was very a very interesting idea and made me think, is a Nanermanai actually an AI? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I, I will say that... I've read the whole series. Yeah. Um, I will say that I was expecting there to be more of an answer to that question of how is Breck going to defeat her if she has all of these bodies. Mm -hmm. I I expected a particular answer to that question and an answer that would, like a very Star Wars answer, like how is the Rebellion going to defeat the Empire when the Rebellion is so much smaller? Well, there's the Death Star, and the Death Star is so huge and so important to the Empire's morale that destroying that will destroy them all. I expected something like that, like something in the in the rest of the series to explain how taking down one thing and accomplishing one thing could defeat all of an Andermini. Mm -hmm. And that's not exactly what happened. Okay. So that's all I'll say about that, though. Okay. I did read something, um, I, I, I was, you know, after I read the book, I, I, I went on Google, <laughs> which is what I usually do when I finish a book that's left me very confused and uh, intrigued. And I, I read a review of Ancillary Justice by Jim Hines, who's a, uh, who's a, uh, urban fantasy author. Um, and he, he had some of the same, you know, questions about, you know, Breck's motivations and how is she going to bring down this person that has thousands of bodies. But um, someone in the comments had said they didn't think necessarily that Breck wanted to just kill as many bodies as possible, but that to, in doing so, she would bring up the, she would, she would bring to Anander's attention that they're working against each other, basically. So the twist in the story is that the factions of the Ratch are factions of Anandermi and I. You know, Anandermi and I is is fighting against herself, basically, um, which is a fascinating idea <laughs> that someone has with one identity has is you know has different ideas of what they want to do. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, sort of different bodies are. Yeah. On sides of that war it's a very it's a very personal civil war <laughs> yes <laughs> so um so the you know the the theory was that you know breck is 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 faced with one faction of the Enanders, um which leads to her you know the ship being destroyed 
Um, and so she wants to make sure that both factions of Anandrum and I realize that they're both plotting against the other, which will therefore bring about the downfall of the Ratch or whatever. And I was like, that's a very interesting idea. Um, yeah. And considering how everything plays out at the end, it's that's basically what happens, you know. She doesn't get her revenge, but the factions become aware of each other. Yeah, she goes about it um, almost... Or not not so much how she goes about it, because the, the ending of this book was actually not my favorite thing about it. But Agreed. you get more into the political... Uh, the sort of political ways you can take down an Andromenae as opposed to physically fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I, I agree the ending wasn't my favorite. I think more the middle parts, especially after the, you know, towards the end of the annexation of Shiserna and then, you know, what happens with, with that to uh, Breck after that were I think were my favorite parts of the book. Um, there were some parts of the book that I thought, you know, while well written and everything, I kind of felt like they were there just to you know, provide drama and didn't really change anything. One of them was, you know, Breck saving Savarden uh, from falling off the bridge. Like, hmm. you know, while it proved, you know, it it kind of, you know, pushed Savarden more towards Breck, you know, as sort of, you saved me, I'm staying with you. But it didn't really change anything for Breck. <laughs> you know, huh. like, she kind of, like... You, you think, okay, falling a thousand feet, that's going to comp... I'm, like, thinking, oh, my God, what is going to happen now? Like, she's lost the gun. She's lost all her stuff. She's broken. But she's then broken she... broken her leg. Yeah, yeah. But then she wakes up in the, you know, medical clinic, and after a few days, she's fine. And I was kind of like... <laughs> I kind of feel like that was just, like, a... Because it happened right at the midpoint of the book. So you're, I'm like, I'm seeing a plot structure chart in my head of like, all right, I need a really big ending to act two. So I'm going to have her fall off a branch, you know? <laughs> see, I, uh, I'm flipping through it to see what um, sort of, <laughs> what past, the, the scenes in the past are paralleling it. Because I didn't so much think about the structure. Yeah. Um, but I liked that scene a lot. And I liked it because yeah. it, it was pure pulp side. It was pure, like, got cool bridge. We've got cool armor. Somebody's got to fall off this bridge. Yeah. It's it's essential. No one, it, it's the law. Somebody's <laughs> got to fall off this bridge. And, the, and it's, so. you know, to clarify, it's not that I didn't like the scene. I just kind of felt like it was a little too easy afterwards, you know? Yeah, and well, you're, you're right. And what that scene, to me, what that did was it showed how resilient Breck is mm-hmm. and how much... Her body being kicked around doesn't really matter to her yeah. because she she doesn't have the same sense of trauma about her body as I think a human would. And that to me, that scene illustrate it didn't change her. You're absolutely right. But what it illustrated was um, how stubborn and resilient she is. Yeah. And it, it illustrated how the armor worked, which is very unusual in yeah. this book. Yeah, I and I kept asking myself how long does her body live you know because I know she's got all of these like implants that you know help them live longer and you know give them you know different abilities and stuff but um like I'm wondering like will she will her bot how long will her body last 
you know? Good question. Because, I didn't think of that. Because, I mean, she's mortal now, you know, she's, you know, you she can't just, I mean, I guess she could jump into another body if they gave her another body, but, you know. Yeah, I would think that would require, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if that would be possible. That's yeah. a good question. Because I think the rats do. They live longer than, like, humans of our generation. But they, they're certainly not immortal. So that's a good yeah. question. And, I mean, especially I was wondering with Anander Me and I. Because Anander Me and I has, has obviously ruled the rats for thousands of years. So how does that work? <laughs> if, if, yeah. if, she's hu- if she's a human, you know, and not, like, an AI or something. Like, how does that, how does that work? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I want to know. Like, I was really frustrated reading this book. I wanted to go on, like, the equivalent of Wikipedia and research all this stuff. <laughs> hmm. I think I was definitely thinking of Anandrami and I jumping from body to body. So her mind stays the same age, but her, the, or, yeah, her mind stays the same, but the bodies become young. And she takes the bodies of, like, seven-year-old kids at one point and to me that was an indication that that's what she does she she inhabits generations almost she'll grow up with a with a body or one fragment of her will grow up with a body but that's not necessarily I don't I don't think there's a a wiki answer to that yeah (laughs) yeah so um some of the themes of the books we talked a lot of we talked about before but like the whole idea of artificial intelligence and what what makes someone human you know they 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 debate that towards the end of the book um because breck is offered to be captain of the ship and she's Mm. like you know i can't be a captain i'm not human and it's like well you have one body now so and you're just one person so i would think that makes you human the the ship's not happy about it either the other the other ai is like you're not a captain yeah you're a ship yeah So that's that's definitely an interesting idea and I'd be interested to see how, you know, how that works going forward. And then the whole idea of the people being divided against themselves, you know, because there's there's a point during the annexation um, when they're in the temple and the communications go out and, you know, and it's basically just from the one body's point of view of Breck. And I'm assuming this is the body that she ends up with later <laughs> um, that, you know, where she kind of debates what to do, you know, and like doesn't yes. know what to do. And it's like if 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 would she have hesitated to kill these to kill these people or not, you know, yeah. it's kind of a fascinating idea. She gets literally separated from herself like radio silence from all the rest of herself yeah which is really interesting there's two things that i really liked about sort of the social commentary in this book one of which i mentioned in the book club and the forum um but at breck at one point there's my favorite line in this book possibly is about how um she has to have emotions and all of the ai have to have emotions in order to make decisions because there's no possible way you, you can't just base a decision on logic. There are too many variables. You ha- In order to be capable of making a choice, you have to be able to, um, to factor your own emotions in. And I thought that was really unique because so often you'll see AIs emotionless and they have to like learn to love or something. Quote marks are happening right now. Um, <laughs> and that was not her her story at all. And the other thing is they talk about the social uh, groups on 
on this planet Earth and how the wealthier people and the uh, poorer people, and I don't, I wasn't quite sure whether there's an indication that it was a racial difference or just an economic difference, but the wealthier people are getting adapted into the Ratch society more often, and the Ratch um, tests, like, uh, oh, what's the word for it, like the aptitude tests, yeah. are disproportionately choosing people from the wealthier communities, even though the tests are supposed to be completely uh, neutral. So I thought that was a really on the nose, and, and there are some, in the later books, there are some super on the nose uh, social commentary that was like almost too literal for me that uh, but brought up really interesting things about social inequality and about the way um, the way societies are sort of messed up after war after large social changes yeah those are good points I I really appreciate your comment in the book club about the whole like the whole um emotion using emotions to make decisions and I also really liked that idea because like you said you know people always kind of like poo-poo the idea of women using emotion you know and and being emotional and oh a woman can't be president because she's too emotional you know but it's like okay but that's how people make decisions you know we're, we're not computers and that's like the whole argument for human exploration of space as opposed to just robots because humans can uh, make observations that you know machines can't make you know it's like the whole um in in the movie contact you know when Jodie Foster says they should have sent a poet <laughs> because mm -hmm. you know you can't just look out at some you know you can't just look it up the up at the sky on Mars and be like, okay, this is what Mars is like, you know. Be yeah. like, holy crap, I'm on another planet. <laughs> <laughs> so I really I appreciated that idea, and it's true because you know, you know, if you're if you're making decisions about entire civilizations, you know, you, you can't just go, okay, well this this is the logic, this this is a list of reasons and list of things, and we're going to make a decision like that. So I so I, I liked that idea a lot. Um, so wrapping up, you've read the rest of the trilogy. So, you know, if you could just give like a little pitch as to far as what happens in the, the rest of the books, because honestly, I have no idea where the heck it's going to go from here. <laughs> like you can very much tell that this was a debut novel because it's very much a standalone Um it doesn't end like on a cliffhanger or anything as far as like, I mean, it could have, the story could have ended right there for me and I wouldn't have been like, well, what happens next? You know, but at the same time you can, you can tell there's just so much more story to tell in this universe. Yeah. So I will say that although it does have what I think are very exciting, like, you know, action adventure scenes, it does not really follow the the trend of like escalating warfare it doesn't follow the star wars model mm -hmm. um what it does do is it introduces some really interesting really funny characters um this these this series was a lot more humorous than i expected it to be mm -hmm. um if you think this book was small scale or slow i have to say the second one is smaller scale and slower uh, <laughs> it okay all takes place on one planet it has a lot to do with the uh, the distribution of tea, oh and, yes, <laughs> wow, <laughs> it, and Breck 
micromanages. Um, Breck also will not let any inequality slide, no matter how small it is, compared to her scale of, like, the galactic scale she's working on. So I highly recommend them. Um, if you get to the fish sauce part, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> um, uh. But and, and I love Breck as a character. I think she's a great mix of um, fierce and sort of, grounded as much as a AI that lived as a spaceship for 2000 years can be considered a practical down to earth person. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, it goes some weird, weird directions. You see a little bit more about all the aliens, the, um, the Presker and the, Ur, which... <laughs> Oh my God. The Ur is the best name for aliens ever. <laughs> I may have been waiting this entire podcast to find an excuse to say, Ur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to that part and I just g- started giggling and Brian's like, what are you laughing about? And I'm like, look at the name of this <laughs> It's just seven R's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. So that's my pitch for the next, the next two. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our first book club podcast. I had a, I had a really good time discussing it and, uh, I, eventually, we'll get, I'll get around to reading the uh, the next two. I I have a problem in that I organ I already assigned all of my books for the year. So, Aww. but um, but yeah, I I I'm really glad we I picked this one for the. Well, I didn't pick it. We voted on it, but you know, I made executive decision to have this one because it tied with another book, and so I uh, I'm glad I did this one because it's it's definitely you know one of the classics of modern sci-fi. So. Good. I'm glad I could uh, continue to get more people to read it. I, <laughs> my, I have a book club with friends in, in my uh, in my environs, and there's like seven of them. So now I've gotten like ten people to read this book. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. now maybe I can get more. <laughs> nice. Um, and I look forward to the rest of the book club. It's been really fun so far. The Tashi Station Goodreads Book Club. Yes. So join us if you haven't yet on Goodreads uh, for a- April. Our book of the month is Carry On by Rainbow Rule. Um, and Carry On is a fantasy novel in the vein of Harry Potter in which there is a uh, chosen one magician going to magic school. It is actually um, from one of other roles, other books called Fangirl. Uh, the main character in that book wrote Simon Snow fan fiction. Um, and Roll could not get Simon Snow out of her head after writing that book and decided she was going to write Simon's book herself. Uh, and I I read this book in two days. So I'm really looking forward to talking about it more. <laughs> That's it, my plan, too. It's really good. and um, And it's funny because it's very obviously inspired by Draco Harry fan fiction. Um, which I was not into at all. Um, I was not a fan of Draco Malfoy at all. But um, but man, this this made me love it. <laughs> I was all rooting for them to hook up. And um, I I will say, if you're worried about any sort of queer baiting or you know that sort of thing that fandoms are known for, uh, this does not do that. <laughs> so. It gets, I really, really liked it. So, um, 
Thanks again. Uh, if you haven't read Ancillary Justice, uh, you still, well, you don't have time for this month, but go back and read it. <laughs> There's always a chance, Citizen. Yes, always a chance. Yeah. I love that they called each other Citizen and that the the rack, the word for racked meant civilized. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they do such interesting things with language. There's a part. This is a part where they mention that it's impossible to say the sentence, like, this rat citizen is uncivilized. It's grammatically impossible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which tells you a lot about their civilization. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thanks so much for joining us this month on the book club. And stay tuned next month when we talk about Carry On. See you later. Bye.